0: You just you just watch that feed, like the academic chatter feed, and every day there's always someone doing something that's incredibly impressive. Uh, some people are starting their own businesses. Some people are getting their first publication for the first time. Some people are passing the viva. Some people are passing their candidacy. Um, there's people who are like the first in their family ever to even go to university. And they're achieving all these great things I mean it's There's no one person that I can just go That one person's been amazing Like And they put all the everyone else to shame Because that's not true Every single day there's someone there Who's just like Whoa They are really impressive um, For doing that Like that's, that's a great thing And it could be an achievement That some other people have taken for granted But for that person It's like This is a, this is a huge deal
1: Hi there, welcome back to the podcast, What Are You Going to Do With That? by the Minerva Center for the Rule of Law Under Extreme Conditions at the University of Haifa. I'm Dani, a PhD candidate, hoping to get insights into the academic journey of fellow early career researchers. In this episode, I'm chatting with David Gillespie, who had a rather interesting or not-so-typical journey up to his successful PhD defense just last week. And he very recently started working as a data analytics engineer. So that's a double congratulations, but before I'm going to pour my signature drink to cheer, let me invite you all to our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts to not only connect with us, but with peers too. We also have a YouTube channel and blog on our website, where you will find tips by and for ECRs. So be in touch, subscribe and see you there. And now back to David's academic journey. David Gillespie left high school and at the age of 16 joined the army in the UK to start an apprenticeship in aeronautical engineering. After five years, David went back into education and started at James Watt College doing an HNC in software engineering, allowing him to start a BSc in software engineering the following year. After the studies, David went back into aerospace as an aircraft fitter and moved into composite research. Another few years later, he joined Collins Aerospace as a research engineer, and Collins then sponsored David's doctorate with the University of Strathclyde on the classification of defects for non-destructive inspection using contact sensors and data analysis. As I mentioned earlier, David passed his PhD defense just last week and has recently joined Howden Group as a data analytics engineer. So congratulations with your latest wins, David, and welcome to our podcast.
0: Thanks very much, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, we're also very happy you're with us. It's wonderful to hear that despite the pandemic, you managed to get so much done. And this calls for some cheering. So let me get my amaretto. What did you bring?
0: Uh, I've got a Kilhoman, a uh, single malt, single farm whiskey. Um, so uh, my wife bought it for me to uh, celebrate completion of my PhD. So uh, now, now that I have a title, my, my tastes are incredibly expensive.
1: Okay, well, it sounds very fancy. So let me just pour my drink too. And cheers. Cheers. (laughs) To the doctor title. All right. So I have a few short questions ready before we really Mm -hmm. dig into your academic journey to learn how you made it eventually with your defense. And my first short question is, what does your morning routine look like?
0: My morning routine? Um... I'll get up about uh, half six, seven, depending on the day. Uh, morning ablutions, uh, downstairs make my uh, breakfast, coffee and the go uh, on percolator, uh, have enough time to just throw that down my neck, upstairs wake up my three year old daughter uh, and get her ready for the day, uh, whilst my wife gets ready and then uh, we'll Drop her off at nursery Well, my wife will drop the, the Our kid off at nursery And uh, I just start work uh, At the moment At my breakfast bar Which is uh, turned into the office Due to remote working So it's not a, not a very exciting morning Very sort of normal Wake up uh, Almost like a, a family sitcom <laughs> Get breakfast ready Get ready to go
1: And then the day really starts When everyone left the house
0: uh, Yeah The day will start When uh, everyone's left the house
1: Alright well, my next question is, if you could choose to be any superhero, which one would you want to be? Ooh. That's a tough one.
0: That's, that's a question that, you know, <laughs> it's one of those ones that, that flicks um, day to day, week to week. I think um anyone that knows me well would probably say I would have to say Deadpool, just because he's my favourite Marvel anti-hero. All right. Um, I don't know, I just like the sense of humour <laughs> <laughs> within the, the, the comics and the films. So I'm going to go with Deadpool just because that's uh, what I normally would say, but it fluctuates some days, you know. Some days you want to be Doctor Strange, some days you want to be Wolverine, you know. Just depends what day of the week it is.
1: It also depends on what kind of superpower you need at that moment.
0: Exactly what you need at that moment in time.
1: Right, fair enough. And then the last short question is, what is the most common misperception that people have of you when you tell them that you work in aerospace and engineering?
0: Hmm. I don't actually know. I, I, uh, no one's really got a misconception I don't think. Um my, my wife thought I was an astronaut for the longest time <laughs> because I was working in research in aerospace and she didn't she didn't uh, get that obviously there's very not not exciting aspects to the research. Um, I was doing composite research so it was a lot of just um materials at the time and non-destructive inspection. Um all she heard was, "Oh, doing fancy stuff, research and development, aerospace, rocket ships." I think he's an astronaut. <laughs> uh, um, still, to this day, she will occasionally uh, say to people that I'm an astronaut, but no, I don't work in aerospace. I, I work for a, a, a company that does compressors and turbines, so I can't use the, the, the astronaut thing.
1: That was something earlier, so, but that's something I would have guessed <laughs> as a misperception yeah. because you know I'm also not coming from the engineering field at all. Uh, so I didn't really mm-hmm. know what to imagine with it, and I know that my partner, for example, does electrical engineering. And often people think he could be a janitor or something like that, like fixing machines. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not from the field, like a lot of things could come yeah. up that are not actually uh, connected to what you're doing. But hopefully, mm-hmm. after this episode, we'll all know what it is you are doing.
0: Oh, hopefully, I know what it is I'm doing because that's uh, it's been a. a, a point of confusion for many many months I don't know what I'm doing.
1: (laughs) Well that's another story (laughs) we'll also get to that. So your journey has been very different from that of the most guests we had on our show uh, as most academics didn't leave high school before graduating and that's why I'd like to start there. So why did you quit high school and did you decide to join the military instead?
0: Um, I have no idea. I was, I was 15 years old, uh, probably thought I knew best. We, we, I was 15 years old. My family moved, uh, from the school that I was at, so I was moving into my, my sort of final year that I could leave, uh, to get my hires, which is the Scottish equivalent of A-levels or a GED, I, I think. And that meant I would have to do my final year at a new school. So new friends, new classes, new teachers You had to get used to all this um, new social structure that uh, it had built up over the last however many years I did quite well at school um, So it's not, like, not as if it was that like I dropped out of school because I was failing I did quite well at school, it was just, um, I think, just socially uh, It felt like starting from the beginning So probably just a massive teenage uh, tantrum really Left school and decided to join the army instead. Um, it was it was um, often referred to as the best mistake I ever made. Okay. Because it feels like probably I shouldn't have done it. I maybe should have went to college um, to do at the HNC or HND at that age, that time, and then progressed into university. Maybe, but I didn't. So that was what I did. Um, I'm also an incredibly stubborn person. <laughs> if someone tells me I can't do something or they don't think that I can do something, I will give 100% just to prove them wrong. So there was a lot of people who didn't think that I could I could stand the army, so uh, I withstood it for five years. <laughs> just to, just to, out of stubbornness, I think. But uh, no, it was, it was enjoyable, and I, I got a trade-out of it. Uh, I got a good understanding of engineering. I think I got an understanding of engineering I wouldn't have got if i just went to university. Okay. Uh, just through the practical, hands-on experience.
1: That's usually what we do, and especially when we're teenagers, but... I think also after that that we try to like prove people wrong just because they say we can, yeah. we try it anyway. Uh definitely yeah. recognizable. Um and you already answered the question I wanted to ask if you're looking back on it as a good or a bad experience. Um and it seems like you actually got quite a lot out of it. But maybe you didn't really have an idea, but uh how did you envision it to turn out? Like did you really believe that your parents were wrong? Or did you think, oh maybe I am Setting myself up
0: for failure no I, I, If i 'm perfectly honest I, failure at that point doesn't become an option for me if I get something in my head i'll I'll set out to achieve it It might take a long time to do it um sometimes it might take a long time to do it but i i will set, i will pursue that goal until it's achieved so when I joined the army and it wasn't so much I think people thought I wouldn't be able to hack it. I was never like very sporty or athletic and obviously it's quite a um physical job, the training's quite physical, so um I, I ran when I was in school, uh, like long distance, but I didn't do anything sort of uh, traditionally sporty, I mean I didn't play football or uh, team sports, that kind of thing, where people would be like, oh you're a sporty person mm. it was just sort of, oh he runs, that's it, but it turns out obviously in the army running is actually quite beneficial, people uh, right. <laughs> go long distances um, so it was never really a, a sort of point of I wouldn't be able to hack it. It was like mentally just being like, this will end. There will be a point where this stops, so just put up with it for now. And I think that's, I think I bring that into a lot of things. If a situation's sort of bad, you're like, this will eventually end. There will be a, so come to a conclusion, you, you will get through this.
1: So you also learned a lot from it in that sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Interesting. So eventually you were in the army for about five years and then you decided to return to education and you got a Higher National Certificate or an HNC in Software Engineering. Now, here in mm. Israel it works slightly differently. Um, so I wanted to ask what, what is an HNC exactly? And what was your motivation for leaving the army and then going back to school?
0: After, after a few years in the army, uh, I wanted, I knew I was capable of getting a degree. Uh, they had a um, scholarship type program where they would put money towards you doing distance learning if you wanted to get a degree and you could do it It was through the, what's known as Open University which I eventually went to after uh, I left the army um, At that time however it wasn't online, it wasn't internet, it was paper, literally paper based they would send you out material in the mail, you would read the books in the mail, you would complete tasks on paper mail them back, and it it took a long time to to get anything. (laughs) (coughs) Yeah, yeah, I am actually, I'm a lot older than I look. Um, So, (laughs) uh, so it was, uh, it was difficult to do. Um, And obviously I had a full-time job at the time. You're in the army, and a full-time in the army is a lot different to regular full-time. It's literally 24 hours, seven days a week, sort of full-time, working uh, big long shifts. So, it just it wasn't practical to do at that point in time But I knew I wanted to do it And it was something that I, I don't know I felt I wanted to achieve my potential with I guess um, I knew I was capable of it uh, But I didn't have the wee certificate to say that I could do it So it was one of those things <clears throat> um, I'd also had The army itself As you probably got from earlier qu- question Where I was like, you'll push through it, this will end It wasn't a Not that it wasn't a pleasurable time But I mean it's, it's not for everybody It's It's mm. Can be quite a harsh uh, sort of lifestyle because it's it's a it is, that's your entire life um, at that point in time. You're, you don't just go. That's five five o'clock. I'm going home. Going to go out and you know socialise with my other group of friends, or I'm going to do my other hobbies. It's you live with these people, you work with these people day in day out, twenty four hours a day. So it's uh, it's quite um, intense. I guess
1: right. Not much space for anything else like a social life or hobbies, things like that. Yeah, Netflix. yeah. We, you know,
0: you have social life and hobbies, but it's all army social life, army hobbies. It's not your own sort of social life, your own hobbies. <clears throat> I don't know if that's changed now or not. I, I couldn't say. So, leaving uh, to pursue education full time meant that I, I could also experience that um, other social life aspect as well. I think I because I joined at sixteen. I missed out on that period of life where you're growing up from, you know, 16 into your 20s. Mm -hmm. So I kind of lived that as well. So I think there was a social aspect as well, not just a purely academic, I I, I think I can achieve this kind of thing. There was also you wanted to live your youth, um, which obviously I, I did. I managed to go to university and I had that period of time.
1: And what was it like to be a student after having a very different work experience already that all the other students you were with didn't have? Right? Did you connect with these other students?
0: Yeah, there, there was a, there was a bit of an age gap. And at some points, I was I don't know maybe about four or five years older than most. Like right. First, second years, <clears throat> and obviously they were in the second year, so they had time to gel together on the, on the courses. Mm-hmm. Some coming up, I wasn't the only person, and I was uh, definitely not the oldest person to to come into the second year. Um, So I think it wasn't It was really a It was never an issue Um, I don't think you make friends fast If you're the type of person to make friends You will make friends Mm -hmm. At at university I don't think it matters when you come in I think it gave me a better Maybe a bit more of a mature work ethic uh, Doing university I know because I've been to university a a couple of times now As I've gotten older My work ethic and results in, In regards to Um Coursework Is always Gets much higher Every time I do it <laughs> So The first time Young Young twenties uh, Just kind of Yeah A bit more partying You know the, the first few years And then you get to the third year And you're like oh, well, actually I better, better sit, sit down in here And do a bit of studying Because I spent all this time uh, Partying And I'm maybe not going to get the grades out. So my grades did slip In my third year uh, In my first degree um, And then I like, right, better, better actually pay attention to what I'm just doing. Uh, and I feel like I'm going off on a tangent here.
1: <laughs> That's okay. No, it sounds like what they say about the army is true, right? That it teaches you discipline. Uh, but on the other hand, you just got to the university uh, after being mm-hmm. so disciplined. So now yeah. you finally were free to build that social life outside of the army. Um, yeah, but if it was only in the first year, I guess you managed to balance it out pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think balance the social life and the, uh, the, the working, the work that was required. But yeah, I think I had I, I did had the social life a bit harder than maybe I I, I, I could have.
1: <laughs> That's all right. I think we've all been there. <laughs> yeah well after the bsc you briefly went back into aerospace as an aircraft fitter right um only to Mm -hmm. pretty quickly return to research specifically as a composite research in composite research and later as a research engineer so i wanted to ask Mm -hmm. you a little bit about uh, what kind of research you focused on and what made you go back and forth between industry and research
0: um it was industrial research So it was always really in industry uh, There's there's industry research And then there's academic research industry, industry research is very focused They'll have a goal at the end That they want And it'll be Right, we want to save money Which is nine times out of ten That's the umbrella goal right. We want to save money we want to make something cheaper There'll be other things underneath there, it's like, we're going to, we want to save money by doing this thing faster, we want to save money by mm-hmm. using less equipment, we want to save money by um, making this process smarter, saving weight, that sort of thing, so the research comes out of we want to save money uh, and then it goes down the whatever branch uh, they, they end up focusing on. So you have that, um, but it's always sort of quite financially driven and that's just how it is and that's how, how the, the world works at the moment, yay capitalism. Um, whereas academic research, in my experience, is it will, there will be, here's a, an umbrella question of, can we do this faster? So they, they're sort of the second branch down from the saving the money. And at that point, off of these branches, if something else comes along that's interesting, you don't just suddenly, you don't just go, right, ignore that, park it, concentrate on this one thing that we're focusing on. You go, Oh, that's interesting. Maybe there's something we can do there. And this, your, your research interests expand, maybe not necessarily to you as an individual, but definitely to your group or other people around the world. You would maybe publish and say, here's some, here's our findings. Interesting to know this thing happens. This is an area of further interest and mm-hmm. someone will pick it up if not you. Whereas in industry, here's something that's happened. This is now a, a trade secret. We will not let anyone know this is all this is ours, we will never use it, but this is ours sort of thing, so you, you have that, so um, mixing between the two worlds is quite interesting because you get to learn your research techniques um, in an environment where you've got a lot of funding in industry and you're able to, you know, play with all the great toys and stuff and you're not having to queue in the lab for like four months to, to get access to equipment because they have the equipment and it's specifically for your your purpose, purpose. But also research and academia lets you have a sort of broader options of what to look into. So if something genuinely interests you, you have that opportunity to go, right, can I afford to spend time on this? And if that's the case, then I'll go off and do it. If not, can I support someone else who will spend time on this? There's, I don't know, it's a bit more like a, it's a bit like a commune, you know, everyone's helping each other out. Mm -hmm. Uh, In my experience, there's, there's a lot of helping each other out.
1: I was just wondering if you knew about this difference between industry research and academic research before you started doing your PhD.
0: I did not. To uh, perfectly honest with you, I didn't really understand what research was uh, up until I, I was doing it and then someone told me that's what I was doing. <laughs> the, the, the research job when I was doing composite research with um, Spirit Aero systems was they were basically just looking for someone with carbon fibre experience When I was in the army I did carbon fibre repair on uh, drones So, uh, and that was like how I got, how I got my start into um, composites So they were looking for fitters basically to come in and do some composite layups and uh, make, make test panels and stuff It wasn't incredibly exciting, it was making test panels and destroying the test panels and examining them, the sort of the technician work that you, you, would, you would have in a university um, so it they, they, they was just basically looking for a set of hands that, that knew what they were they were doing eh, almost. So I was 100. percent I didn't know that I was doing sort of research at that point in time. It was just I was doing composite work. Um, and then, but being in that environment with people who were doing the sort of higher level research, like the reason we were actually smacking these panels with hammers, there was a reason to it. It wasn't just out of frustration. <laughs> okay. so Maybe a it little was, bit of a little bit of both, yeah. A little bit of both. Calibrated hitting with hammers, but as I, I learned, um, science is basically just doing stuff and taking notes. That's that's it in a nutshell. If you're you're perfectly honest with yourself, what happens if I do this? It's like a, a kid poking something with a stick. Only you're taking notes. At the end of it, I've poked it with a stick. Oop! I made a noise. Take note that down. If poked with stick, makes noise. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh. This research thing, this this thing's alright, I can I can do this, these aspects of it. Um so I sort of try to take more uh, responsibility on in that role, try to get more involved where I could in the actual sort of the background, the the design of the experiments, why we were doing the experiments, what areas we were looking in, what experience I had previously that would help out. Um for example, I did non-destructive inspection and non-destructive testing on composites. O- so obviously, if you're, went to, if you want to examine a composite structure on an aircraft, you don't, you can't take the panel off, cut it up, look at it, and go, oh, that's not damaged, and then glue it back together, because you've destroyed it okay. by looking at it. So you need your non-destructive inspection method. Um, typically, people will know what ultrasound is. When you go in, mm. when someone's having a, a child, or, I don't know, kidney stones or something, and they want to see inside the body, mm-hmm. they'll use an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. So that's a, what you can use for non-destructive inspection you can use that same method on uh, aircraft structures to see through it or x-ray or any other number of things so i had experience with uh, ultrasound at this point and so a lot of the validation after you've smacked your things with hammers you want to see how that has uh, impacted the the sample panel itself what's the extent of the damage so i was able to use that experience and that kind of uh, Gave me more responsibilities And I sort of worked my way up a little bit To a technologist level Which is um, sort of like a researchy Engineer developing technology
1: Okay, sounds like fun Uh, I can't imagine what an ultrasound For such a big machine must look like (laughs) Very different than
0: Big, 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 big baths Very, very big baths With uh, two probes That shoot a jet of water And they just go up and down Big lines (laughs)
1: Nice. And then eventually, you, you, your job or your work, they sponsored your industrial doctorate, which you did at the University of Strathclyde, right? So how did you manage to get this deal off the ground?
0: That's, that, was a, that was a long time, long time uh, working. So whilst I was at Spirit AeroSystems, um, I met my, who was going to be my um, supervisor, Christos, and one of my friends, Andrew. Uh, Andrew was just finishing up his PhD at that time, and they were doing a project in partnership with our research group in Spirit. Me and Andrew just got to talking about World War Two and history and things. He had a, a military background as well, um, with mutual interests, so we, we became friends. And uh, after a few months, he'd uh, said to me, "Have you thought about doing a PhD?" And I was like, "Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't leave my work to do a PhD." Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I've, I've, got, I've got bills to pay and stuff and obviously um, going by and taking a stipend quite a significant drop in pay and he'd said, have you heard of an industrial doctorate? And I had not heard of an industrial doctorate, which is basically where you working in industry and in research, you used your industry project as your thesis topic. Okay. So then your company can sponsor it. They keep a doctor. They, they have someone developed to the level of PhD and also they get the supervisor and university uh, access on to a project which they want completed anyway. So
1: it's a win-win situation. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a win-win situation. You would be, I, I think you would be, I don't know, daft not to want to, to sponsor such, uh, such a a, a, a thing. So Spirit Aerosystem didn't want to sponsor such a thing. Uh, at that time uh, They had their reasons um, So I had a wee look around To see if anyone else maybe would Be interested in sponsoring such a thing And the area that uh, I, w- I worked in at the time um, Is known as the trifecta Roundabout um, Presswick Aerospace uh, Presswick Airport. There's aerospace companies And there's the three big ones um, There was UTC at the time But now Collins Aerospace Spirit Aerosystems and GE Those are the the sort of the three uh, main um, employers in aerospace And they call it trifecta because everyone sort of seems to move from one to the other back And they just go around Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, a lot of people have have worked in more than one place So I basically looked there and Collins had a research group Uh, They were hiring and so I applied for that, brought it up uh, they were like, this, this is a good, this sounds like a good thing. They're very, very, very supportive of developing their engineers as well. They have a, what's known as employee scholarship program, which is open to every employee uh, within the company, um, where they will basically just sponsor you uh, if, to go and get your education, uh, improve yourself, and, and that's that. Don't expect anything in return either. So, managed to use that, um, started the the PhD, and as they say, the rest is history.
1: Sounds like a good decision. Yeah, I mm-hmm. didn't know that that was a thing either. So I think it's very useful for our listeners to know about that. So, did you work and research at the same time, or did you go back to that stipend that you said would have been a significant drop?
0: No, I didn't. I didn't take the stipend. It was basically uh, it was like doing a PhD part-time but not part-time levels. Right. <laughs> so it was like research in my own time but also aspects of it were associated with my work so the project that I did for my thesis was also strongly associated with the work that I was doing for Collins Aerospace as a full-time employee so I was able to use aspects of it for the research and I was able to publish par- parts of it um, so, through the publications, obviously, I was able to build up a, a thesis, uh, which was then uh, submitted for, for the PhD. So, it was full-time work where um, the outcome of the full-time work was at a level that was judged to be of the level of a PhD and could go towards a, a thesis.
1: So, I understand that financially it was quite doable to do a phd yeah but that may be yeah. time wise it was a lot
0: yeah the last the last three years have been quite uh quite hectic um obviously i last three years i have a 3 year old daughter so you can uh, guess what happened <laughs> during the first year um so yeah it was it was a it was a little bit hectic not a lot um, of sleep try, try. no no especially not in the first year uh, but, yeah, you know you, I, had, I had, a, had a really, really, really supportive network I mean, I know a lot of people don't maybe have uh, a supportive network Actually, no, I know for a fact a lot of people don't have a supportive network You just need to look at academic Twitter And you'll right. see a lot of people Definitely. speaking about what it's like to do a PhD um, I'm obviously very privileged in the fact that that was not my experience um, I had a supervisor who I consider a very close friend um, I had an incredible uh, Group at the university In uh, the SIDCOM Shout out to the, the, the guys and girls at SIDCOM At Strathclyde And obviously uh, the triple E department as well uh, At Strathclyde are incredibly supportive um, It's a, it's a great environment To work in And also I had the support of my, my job as well uh, They wanted me to pursue This uh, a PhD So there wasn't that sort of you're you're doing this and you're off your own back and do this in your own time kind of thing. There was like there was the support there to um actually carry out the work. And the support of my family as well. I mean obviously I wouldn't be able to do it without the support of my wife and um, my daughter. My daughter didn't know what was going on, she just knows Daddy's a doctor. <laughs> uh that's it now.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> she th- she thinks I'm a medical doctor, yeah, obviously.
1: Another misconception. Uh, that-
0: <laughs> yeah. Doctor McStuffins, that's that's uh, who she thinks I am.
1: But it has a nice ring to it and you deserve it after working so hard. Um, I also wanted to ask you because, again, your academic journey was slightly different than most people I've talked to so far. Um, so you really went in from industry and then sidetracked to academia a little bit. But at what point during your PhD did you start thinking about the next step? Was it? Did you ever look into a postdoc? and to continue in academia or was it always going to be back to industry or maybe even something else?
0: Yeah, I'd looked, I had looked at doing um, a a postdoc, however, because I didn't take a traditional route, there was my career at the time, my career progression at the time, I had my academic progression, I had my career progression Mm -hmm. and my career progression overtook my academic progression. So, it was, if I had went to sort of like a postdoc position, it was almost a career, uh, not a reduction, thing of, it was just a slight step back mm-hmm. in my career progression. Whereas if I maintained my professional career uh, progression and had the PhD, then that would help me progress further right. on that branch. Instead of the academic one. So it was purely um, selfish reasons. I've got a family, I've got a mortgage, mm-hmm. you know, I would love to have full time into academic research, however, it's, I've, I've got to, you know, I've got bills to pay. <laughs> um, so uh, we, we basically couldn't afford the, the pay reduction, but I did look into it, we looked at ways where that would be maybe possible to do. Um, Strathclyde as well. They were they were quite supportive of looking at um, ways of how uh, they could uh, bring us bring me in um, through there's there's several different sort of opportunities and roles which cross the boundary of academia and industry. Uh, they call them knowledge transfer partnerships. where uh, a candidate. Uh, sort of works on behalf of a company but they work directly for the university. So it's like an industry kind of placement and they act as a bridge between academia and industry, which seemed like a very good fit. Um but obviously you need to find those roles as well. They can't just make them. It's not like a university can just go, We're gonna make this role and we're gonna send it to this company. The company needs to be the one that wants to do it. So that's um mm-hmm. limit those limitations there. So you can't just make these these sort of roles up. Um, Whereas if you've got, say, an academic group You would be like, this is an area we're going to research And we're going to need so many postdocs So the opportunities are a bit broader
1: Right, Um, and it is something that you might be able to do at a later stage too, right?
0: Yeah, there is always the the opportunity to go back into academia later on But um, I mean, I I keep... Obviously, I'm I'm saying this a week after finishing Mm -hmm. my PhD (laughs) I keep I keep my toe in the water, I keep up to date You know, but there's always, I, as I say I have, I have a really good relationship with um, the, the University of Strathclyde And the, the academics there So we keep in touch, we socialise It's not as if it's um, Just also to, to caveat this With I'm not considering leaving my job My current job, I'm very happy uh, Just in case they're listening um, <laughs> But 10, 20 years Follow the line, if something like that were to happen you know you keep in touch and you know everyone's journey into academia is the same there's people who want to uh, learn from people with uh, industrial experience but also I mean I do like volunteering as well for like, the Institute of Engineering and Technology for people who are looking to get I think into engineering or already in engineering are looking to progress for the professional uh, registration and um, so uh, uh, in the UK, we have what's known as like a chartered engineer, incorporated engineer, and an engineering technician uh, levels of professional development, where you're register with the UK Engineering Council to say you've hit certain criteria of being a professional engineer. Uh, and I've achieved all three of those levels, um, so I, I sort of I help out with mentoring people to progress either through those levels or achieve one of them. Um, so things like that as well. I mean, you you visit universities to help people. Uh, Progress or to give your take on Your life experience That sort of thing, so there's always that way to stay involved With it as well Um, And a lot more uh, In industry Companies are seeing the benefits In more Academic research than What was traditionally um, Industry research Where they would produce a white paper Which is basically a commercial Of the services, they'll say "Here's Here's our findings, however if you have a, the same paper, but instead of just saying here's our findings, you go here's our findings, and you cite your academic publications that back up the, your your claims. They're seeing the the benefit of having this. So, um, I found so far, Max, in the last three years at least, anyway, there is the the possibility of just sort of sitting in the cusp between industry and academia, if if you hit the right sort of uh, research group.
1: It's really nice that you volunteer and also try to. You know, tell people that this is another option, and that also industry should uh, continue looking into. Yeah. I think that's very important. So maybe you're changing much more than you think.
0: Maybe I think it's um, it's down to, as I said at the start, I'm a very stubborn person. So if someone tells me I can't do something, I'll mm-hmm. go out to prove them wrong. So I want to try and encourage that in other people. That so they told you you can't do this. No, I'm not having that. Mm-hmm. We're we're going to get this done. Nice. <laughs> that sort of thing.
1: So that really brings us to the last question, uh, which is, what are you going to do with that? You now have the PhD. You got very recently a new job. Congratulations again. Um, Thank you. I kind of got the hint that you are planning for now at least to stay in industry?
0: Oh yeah, Um, I'm staying in industry. Um, If I'm actually honest with you, I probably, I, I doubt I'll leave other than just to visit occasionally, go a little holiday and say hello academia how are you doing it's uh, it's lovely to see you again but yeah just sort of visit I'm looking at um, a fellowship with the Institute of engineering technology which is more of a industry fellowship as opposed to an academic fellowship that's my my next goal um, and that's a, sort of that's like a long-term goal you need to obviously achieve a, a high standard of um experience and application of uh, engineering knowledge in order to, to achieve that. So that's, that's my next goal as uh, a IET fellowship, I think.
1: Sounds like a plan. Okay, let me finish with another few short questions, but this time related to academia. So the first one is, what do you consider to be your most important contribution to your field?
0: My most important contribution to my field... This is like my, my viva all over again.
1: <laughs> Sorry about that.
0: No, no, it's fine. I'm just at you.
1: But you passed it, so you already know the answer.
0: I did, I did, I did pass it, yeah. Um, I'm not sure I'm actually allowed to go into this because my, my thesis is under embargo <laughs> <laughs> due to intellectual property uh, rights. Um, from what I've published though, it's been, um, using contact sensors in an area which, traditionally uses uh, optics, visual interpretation of signals. I've used um, contact sensors instead, so inferred in a sort of visual grid. I think that's my that's my contribution, uh, using same techniques that others have developed before me, but using a different capture method.
1: I didn't get to say it in the introduction, uh, but how many publications have you made already?
0: Five, five publications.
1: Alright, and are they all based on your uh, dissertation?
0: Uh, yes, they're all they're all part of my thesis. One of them uh, I'm a co-author on, which is, I'm not the first author um, w- with another PhD student, uh, but I worked alongside and it's in similar applications, similar it's still defect detection, mm-hmm. uh, just using the different contact, uh, surf- contact temperature sensor.
1: Alright, great. Uh, we'll make sure that uh, this information will also be found somewhere around this episode if people are interested in reading. Okay. <laughs> Next one is: Who has impressed you the most with what they have accomplished?
0: There's too many. Everyone like you. <laughs> Don't I know you a get lot of people are going to be listening to this. No, no, no. I'm just saying. I know a lot of people are going to be listening to this from Twitter. Um, and you just you just watch that feed, like the academic chatter feed. And every day there's always someone doing something that's incredibly impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are starting their own businesses. Some people are getting their first publication for the first time. Some people are passing the VIVA. Some people are passing their candidacy. Um, there's people who are like the first in their family ever to even go to university and they're achieving all these great things. I mean, it's, there's no one person that I can just go, that one person's been amazing. Like and they put all the everyone else to shame because that's not true. Every single day there's someone there who's just like, Whoa, they are really impressive Um for doing that, like that's, that's a great thing and it could be an achievement that some other people have taken for granted, but for that person's like this is a this is a huge deal. So yeah, I don't think there's one single person that I'm gonna highlight and say, You you have you have done great things because lots of people a lot of people listening to this just now have done fantastic things. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: And also important to celebrate every win,
0: right? Yes, yes. I am very guilty of not doing that. <laughs> uh, one of my friends uh, from Twitter, Black at Black Widow Yola. Okay. She does uh, synthetics uh, spider web. She made the front cover of the biologist, and like, a whole article about her. And she printed it off just this page of the front cover, and then just hung up a bit of blue tack on her wall. And I was so angry at her for not celebrating and This is a huge achievement, you've, you've, you've made the front cover of The Biologist So I, Amazon primed her a um, frame, display frame to put this in Because she had to celebrate it You know, and there's a lot of people just don't do little things like that But I'm also incredibly guilty of doing that My wife was always pulling me up She's like, you've just done this this great thing What are you going to do? And I'm like, you know, get a Get a KFC and <laughs> so, yeah, Zinger Tower Burger, that'll do me. That's the kind of celebration. So then, she, then she ends up spoiling me, like buying me very, very expensive whiskies. Nice. Um, so yeah, we should we should um, celebrate all our wins.
1: Yeah, and uh, take another sip. Cheers.
0: <laughs> Cheers. For those of you listening at home, it is um, just after uh, ten o'clock, <laughs> um, and we're, we're we're drinking hard liquor.
1: Yeah, very brave. I've done the morning recordings with others, but then I usually didn't take it. But here in Israel at the moment, it's a holiday, so I felt I was allowed to. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then my last question is, uh, and you already mentioned something about KFC, how do you relax (laughs) after a hard day of work?
0: I'm not so much recently, um, but usually running Okay. Uh, I, I like long distance running. I spend a lot of time just going out. I'm really fortunate. Uh, I live on the coast, but there's also a lot of forests and trails around about where, where I live at the moment. So I can just go out of my house, run five minutes, and then I'm in the countryside and either run along the beach or run through forest trails, up some hills. Um, I, I quite like that because it's it just takes you out of your own head. Just switch off, run a few miles, and that's you. Uh, so I quite enjoy doing that. Um. Things have been a bit intense the last couple of months preparing for the virus, I've not had a chance to do it But um, I've said uh, Next week I'm going to start running again Get back out But yeah, I find that relaxing
1: So the running stuck with you Yeah Alright, but it's supposed to be healthy and Especially if you get to go out and get some fresh air uh, instead yeah, of yeah. Sitting behind your desk all day All right. So thanks, David, for joining our podcast. I wish you the very best of luck with your future career, still building it within industry. And of course, I'd also like to thank our audience for listening to another episode. Don't forget to check out our social media accounts and YouTube channel for more tips and advice. See you there. So what was it like to do your defense uh, in a pandemic? Did you manage to do it in person or was it done online?
0: No. Did it in Zoom. It was it was good. It was all right. I don't know. Part of me, I think, preferred to do it on Zoom than going in person because you had more control over your immediate environment.
1: Okay.
0: Like you could set up you could set up your area so you could get more comfortable in it. I was in an area that I'd spent a lot of time in, mm-hmm. so I was quite comfortable at, at my desk because it's my desk. I could go and get my water, you know. I could have. I knew where everything was. Whereas, if you were in a room that you had no control over, and you know, you're like, oh, where's, is there, I need a jug of water? Was oh, it there? I don't know. Oh, is there a pen? To have a pen? Oh, I didn't bring a pen with. I didn't, everyone's here. You know, you can you can get it. And there's no last minute sort of oh no, I forgot this, I forgot something, or oh, it's too late to to go back and get it. It's like oh, it's downstairs. I can literally go downstairs and get it if I need to. So it took away some of that anxiety, I think. That I would have maybe had if I had had to physically relocate somewhere to go and do the the, the defence. Okay.
1: okay, and there were no trick questions. Did everyone behave?
0: They don't. They don't give you trick questions. <laughs> That's it. I I I was speaking to someone the other day there about this. They were talking about preparing for the defence. My understanding is, if you're going into the defence, the examiners have already made their mind up. They already they've already graded your thesis or they've okay. graded your work. They know if your work is of the standard. It might be that it needs some uh, editing to get it up to a, a better like the standard that they think it's capable of being. Mm-hmm. But they've already decided. If you've been invited there it's usually a very good sign that you've been invited to, to defend. Right. So they've already made their mind up, so just get that out of your head. Don't be thinking, oh, it's a defence. I need to actually sit here and defend myself. Yes, you need to defend some points, it's not the entire thing. It's not you defending your all your contributions. You're there because you've made the contributions to get you there. So they're just asking you some questions just to basically verify that it's you that's made these contributions. Right. So that, that's that's the one thing I would I would say is. It's more verification that you're the person that did the work
1: So I don't have to be too nervous about it?
0: No, no I mean obviously you're going to be nervous I can't tell you not to be nervous right. Because that's just like Like me talking to me a week ago You shouldn't be nervous It was <laughs> people saying to me They were like uh, I try to avoid it because I'm very much um, I, I come from old uh, gypsy stock So I don't believe in fate But I don't want to tempt it
1: mm-hmm. Right, that's, I get that,
0: that that's, that's it yeah, so I avoided people saying, "Oh, that survivor, you'll be the day after, you'll be a doctor." So I'm like, "No, no, don't, don't say that because it could go wrong. You know, you're you could tempt in fate here." And it was literally my new boss at my new job saying in front of the team, "We expect you all to call him Doctor Gillespie tomorrow," and I was like, "No, Ellie, no, don't say that!" Like shouting at my boss just because I was like, "No, keep so close to getting there without anyone jinxing it." But yeah, I don't believe in fate, I don't want to tempt fate. But I don't believe in fate, and you shouldn't believe in fate. Sorry, you shouldn't believe in someone. Someone tripping you up because they're not there to trip you up. They're there to discuss what you've done. They're not there to. They're not there to grill you and what you've done. They're there to discuss what you've done. It's a conversation on your work and how well it went, what didn't go well. What would you maybe do better uh, if you could go back and revisit it? There's always room for improvement. I don't know. I don't know personally anyone that's been in and been like, I have passed without any corrections whatsoever. I produced a perfect thesis and the the examiners were just like, oh, it's a a pleasure to be in your presence. Like, no one has that vibe unless you're, I don't know, some sort of maths genius and you've come up with a completely new concept that explains the entire universe. Then maybe they'll be like, this is is probably being in your presence. so no it's just a it's a discussion amongst peers of the work that you've done and an understanding that you're also at the start of this point in your academic journey